feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. Three oars rip right round your jugular. Three oars rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, in our feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional Killjoys. I'm Melody, and I'm Melody, and today we'll be discussing Brexit. My friend and colleague, Elena, is from England. Uh, She's also a Russia and Bulgarian citizen, and she has some things to say about the Brexit vote. She voted to stay with the EU. So um, she is now back in England. Uh, But before she left, I had a chance to sit down with her and talk about her opinions and takes on what the Brexit vote means for her, her family, and the country at large. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Uh, Before we turn it over to her, just a reminder to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a review. We're everywhere on the internet. We have an Instagram account, Facebook, Twitter. On Twitter, I like to create fake fights with Rachel about songs that she chooses to play on this podcast. I also will be tweeting out some resources that Elena will share with us today. Um, And also you can find us on uh, Spotify, where we have an amazing mixtape of Rachel's awesome songs that we uh, use in this podcast. You can also uh, donate some money to us if you'd like to support feminist labor. And you can do that at feministkilljoyspodcast.com. Or we have a Patreon account. You can search for us there and leave us a monthly donation. And thank you to those of you who have made donations. DIY postcards are coming your way if you haven't gotten yours already. In terms of a check-in before uh, we do the interview here... I'm sitting in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. I'm boiling because <laughs> I'm in my car recording this, um, feeling like a real journalist. So thank you for that opportunity. There are eight ATVs in front of me, all-terrain vehicles if you're not familiar. I'm seeing a dinosaur statue. I drove past a uh, mouse statue holding cheese. It is real Wisconsin up in here. It's where I'm from, the Midwest. And um, I'm going to leave it there. So I'm doing, I'm doing real well. Uh, I'm recording this during the July 4th weekend. I hope that you had a wonderful July 4th weekend, even though July 4th is dumb. And I encourage you to read Frederick Douglass's speech about 4th of July. It's very powerful. And he basically argues that, you know, it's a celebration of the white man's freedom. He is not free. Therefore, there's nothing to celebrate on the 4th of July. Mic drop. So without further ado, let's talk to Elena. Enjoy. This government had an idea and parliament made it law. Seems like it's illegal to fight for the union anymore. And which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? 
All right. So I'm sitting here with Elena. Um, she is a friend of mine in Minneapolis. Uh, she's also a PhD candidate at the University of Minnesota in communication studies, and she's doing really cool research on the history of media research in the <laughs> 1940s and 50s. But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about uh, Brexit. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you and have your voice amplified on feminist killjoys is because of your kind of triple threat citizenship. <laughs> so Elena is a citizen of Russia, Bulgaria, and Britain. And so Bulgaria is in the EU, yep. and Britain obviously voted to leave. Yes. And so you have a very interesting intersectional perspective on this. And so I just want to hear from you. Um, first off, like, how is this vote going to affect you personally? You're going to go back to yes. the UK soon, right? Yes, I'm actually going back tomorrow. My bags are packed. I'm ready. I'm ready to go back home. Um, I think on a personal level, uh, what I'm worried about is really my extended family who lives in England. Because my myself and my parents, we have British citizenships and we're technically UK citizens. Uh, while I have cousins and I have friends who have lived in England for 5, 10, 15 years who never really felt the need to get a British citizenship, partly because of the cost, because it, um, I think it's over a £1,000 just the application form, mm. let alone to go through the whole process of like getting all your documents in order to actually go through that naturalisation process. Um, and so they don't have citizenships. They live there as Bulgarian citizens, but with a indefinite leave to remain, um, which is, I don't know whether it's kind of like a green card, maybe. Um, and so what's going to happen to them is really my worry, because if borders are closed, which I don't even understand how that's going to work or whether that's going to happen, I'm worried about what's going to happen to them. And my other worry... Um, is that if we start doing this to people without British citizenships, when is going to be the next step, which is probably going to be taking away citizenships from people who don't look like they're English. And that's really, to me, that seems to be the slippery slope that we're on right now, that it's going to just keep escalating. And um, we have seen plenty of videos and plenty of photographs that have come out since Brexit, um, whether they're on Facebook or the Guardian website, any website. Um, and they really show how visual identifications play out in this uh, anti-immigrant rhetoric and anti-immigrant feeling that um, people feel quite comfortable to visually identify someone as not British when those people have lived in the country for generations. Um, you know, people have migrated to England from the Commonwealth for, for years, since the Second World War was the giant, giant migration. And, and that's kind of where, where it becomes very, um, very problematic for me because on, I have a quite light white skin and I have blonde hair and in, in the US, I immediately am identified as Caucasian, which I have never even understood what that meant because we don't have that identification. Mm. Um, in England, when I have to fill out all, all our forms, my category is white in brackets other because I'm not white Irish and I'm not uh, white English. 
I'm another white from somewhere else. Hmm. Um, and while my accent in the United States sounds like I'm British, to English people in, in Britain, I sound like I'm not. Hmm. Or that there is something else going on there. And even though my accent changes, especially when I come to the US, it sounds more Australian, which is for some reason something that just happens. Um, but when I go home, I, I immediately sound like I'm not from there. And I get asked questions. And it's one thing to be asked, oh, are you Australian? Because that's still the identification of whiteness and Brits who have migrated or were taken really to Australia. But it's another thing to be identified as Eastern European. And while I don't have the specific Eastern European accent, as soon as I start talking Bulgarian with my parents in public, are we going to become a target for speak English? Why don't you speak English? Speak our language in our country. You know, that kind of a deal. And my, my own family history is a history of migration. We lived in Russia, we lived in Bulgaria, we lived in Komi, which is a republic in northern Russia. It's kind of like close to Siberia, really cold. And we lived in England. So we've gone through all these migrations. And they were all for economic reasons because of the end of communism and the end of socialism and the destruction of the um, USSR and Eastern Europe. And so Britain is our home. Like, that's where my parents live. That's that. That's my home. And to be to be in a position where I feel scared. I have never felt scared to be in England. Absolutely never. And now I have that anxiety in my chest that how am I going to react if someone says something like that to me? Or how am I going to react if I see someone abuse a woman in a hijab? Like, what am I going to do? And... I hope that my reaction is not to punch someone and I'm really going to hope for that. Um, but I am but I am beginning to create scenarios in my head on how am I actually going to be responding to something like this happening. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. Like obviously I'm going to try to stand up to people and we don't have we don't have guns. So I know that I'm not going to get shot, but I might get stabbed because we have knives. So <laughs> and the videos the videos that are coming out yeah. of the UK where are they are they outside of London or like where are the, where are these things happening Um well it's kind of actually a lot of the time it doesn't it doesn't really say the video that um I showed you before we started our conversation um I'm pretty sure that was somewhere from northern England they seem to have northern accents Okay um London disproportionately voted to remain, something right. like over 70% or whatever it was. Um, south of London, the Brighton area, which is where I did my undergraduate degree, um, that voted to remain. Um, and major cities tended to vote to remain, even though those are the places that will actually have the majority of immigrants. And more rural areas tended to vote to leave even though they would probably have less immigrants anyway. Um, the funny one was Wales, uh, where they voted to leave when they actually get a lot of money from the European Union. So there's all, <laughs> all these funny things happening. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But then again, 
things happen in London too. The east of London, um, I think it's Dagenham. Maybe it was Dagenham. I can't remember. There were three areas on the Thames um, on the east that voted to leave. Hmm. And those are, as far as I understand, those are the areas where the people from the white working class folk from East London moved to once the immigrants came into East London. Got it. And so, yeah. I mean, I think because we're currently in the United States and a lot of our listeners are from the United States, uh, there's this kind of grasp at us trying to understand, like we're desperately trying to understand, but the more that you talk about it and the more that I just read about it and see these videos, it's very reminiscent of what's going on in, in this country too with mm. Trump and feeling kind of like it's giving these people um, kind of permission yeah. to say things that they've thought for a long time, <laughs> yeah. but now feel like they have, they're empowered. The backing, to- they feel like they have the backing of half the country behind them. Yeah. So they can say whatever they want to say because, well, half the country backs me. Right. Of course I can say And the vote went their way. Yeah. So, but then also you were talking about with the immigration thing in, you know, Northern England, there's not a lot of immigrants there. It's like the same kind of, the Mm. people that are voting for Trump really don't deal with these issues on the everyday and sometimes are voting Mm. against their interests when they side with Trump. But, so I feel like it's not the same situation, but if people are grasping at trying Mm. to understand this, there are some parallels with the like... The like hidden conservative voice, racist voice that has been kind of stewing yeah. and hiding itself, but now feels like it, yeah. it can say something. And that's the thing in um, like in Northern England. That I mean, there are immigrants like Birmingham and Newcastle. Probably, I mean, I've never I've never been to Birmingham. I've never been to Newcastle. I'm a Southern England person. The furthest up north I've been is Manchester, and. But there are, they tend to be immigrants in the bigger cities because that's where immigrants tend to go. Um, but like you said, it is, it is this thing of voting against your own interests, which is unfortunately what we keep seeing over and over and over and over again, both in the UK and in the US. Mm. And one good example of that is um, the, um, the big bus that the Brexit campaign had, uh, on the side it had um, had a slogan, um, We spe- it was something like, we spent 350 million on the EU, let's invest it back into the National Health Service, which I agree with. I want the NHS to be there. I, I, have, a, I have a disability and I need expensive medication for it. And I have always, ever since I've been in the US, I have always thought in the back of my head, at least I have England. At least I have Mm -hmm. the NHS. If things don't work out here, I'll go back home and I'll be good. Mm -hmm. But since the Conservative government is selling off the NHS very quietly, bit by bit, of course people see the effects that that is having. They have to wait longer. Their local surgery doesn't open. The doctors are no longer there or there's no more nurses. And they see all those things happening in their local area. And of course, when you see this campaign saying, we're going to put all that money back into the NHS, of course you want to vote for that. Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want your one thing that has defined British life for like since since the 40s to be there? Why wouldn't you want that? Of course you do. And then as soon as the vote passed, um, Nigel Farage, uh, who's the leader of UK Independence Party, 
Boris Johnson, who's a conservative, they've all been saying, oh, no, no, we didn't say that. Even though it was part of their campaign, now they're saying they didn't say that or that's not possible. So all the statements that they've been making to get people to actually vote for Brexit seem to be completely unenforceable. And this is, again, where people really... Maybe, I don't know whether people misunderstand, but this is sadly how UK politics seems to function Mm. right now, where you can campaign based on these big slogans and not be able to provide those things. And And that's the really tragic situation because people who may have voted for Brexit because it would give money to the NHS, because it would put funding back into schools and things like that, they're not going to get that. Because it was just a straight-up lie. Because it, it was a straight-up lie. Because um, they are still... Um, Boris Johnson is still a member of the Conservative government. The Conservatives who have put into place the austerity measures under which we are selling the NHS and the schools are being turned into academies. And all of those things are happening because of their policies. It really has got little to do with the EU but the EU became a big a big way to deal with the fact that people are hurting all over England so why do you think I mean you've brought up immigration NHS mm. as reasons for people voting yeah to, to leave but what do you why do you think the vote went the way that mm. it did because it surprised it's everybody su- it surprised right? everybody yeah and that that's part, that's part of the funny situation that's why they don't know what to do now because they didn't think that they would win and so now they did and no one knows what the fuck to do anymore right um i think i personally voted to remain even though i'm not an enormous fan of the european union because i saw what happened in bulgaria when it joined the eu mm. um which was a lot of the um, a lot of the people who lived in rural areas and produced their own food and their own wine and traded like that because mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily have jobs or reliable jobs. The EU instituted regulations that prevented mm. them from doing that. On top of that, it opened up the um, the housing market for purchases um, by non Bulgarian citizens, mm. which drove which drove up house prices in areas where people can't possibly spend like 10 15,000 to buy a house because it was family owned properties. So I'm not a giant fan of the EU even though I have benefited from it. Um so I can see I can see why people would vote would want to vote to leave because of the NHS and because of the schools and because of that rhetoric of Oh, we need to, uh, we need to like reclaim ownership of, um, you know, of how our political system works. We can't let the EU make decisions for us. And yeah, that's true. I also think that there are people who are extremely anti-immigrant and who are quite racist and vote for those reasons. And unfortunately, they don't really understand how immigration law works. And I'm not a big expert on it, but they seem to know a lot less than I do. But if you tend to identify immigrants by the color of their skin, Mm. oftentimes they're not coming from Eastern Europe. They're coming from the Commonwealth. So this is your British Empire, chickens coming home to roost. So 
you have to deal with that, that the Commonwealth still exists, that you as the, <laughs> as the British Empire have responsibilities. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. I saw this, uh, I don't know if you saw this image, but or it was like a tweet or something where it said, India, meanwhile, India's one like surprise that all you had to do to get Britain to leave was to have a vote or something. Right, because that's what it is. Because they colonized, because Britain yeah. colonized. Like, Britain colonized uh, India. It's like, and it's now like they the wanted, majority of the world yeah. that was the British Empire. And then they just want to stay, but then they don't want to... Yeah have those people come into their space. Yeah. Oh, that's... But and, and even even that is still I think I think understanding the racial and ethnic things that happen in England is just so complicated. I I knew people in my old job in England who would say things like, Oh, you know, I don't like any of that foreign food, you know. I like I like the British food. And I was like, Oh, okay. It was like so, so what's your favorite food? Oh, you know, I love me some, some chips with some curry on top. And I was like, right. <laughs> so curry, you know. So there is this thing where people, they appreciate, I think they appreciate some diversity in the same way that now there's a critique of diversity. It's mm-hmm. very, oh, we'll take the curry and we'll take the Caribbean food and the music but we're not really going to deal thoroughly with what we have been doing for centuries. So there's that. We'll take your culture, but not your yeah, people. Yeah, but not your people, you know, because that's a bit too much. It's a bit too dark, you know. Right. And that's where you get, that's that's the funny thing, and funny is probably not the right word, but that's the interesting thing that I see in all these videos that are emerging, is who who and how and where gets visually identified as not British. Right, that was interesting when we were watching the yeah. video. I paused it, I was like, how is this person being read as not British? I don't understand. Yeah. And that and that's what it is. Like and that's what's gonna that's what's gonna become, I think, a really important thing to figure out. Because while people who um who don't look white, people and we have like so many immigrants from all over the world in England. So there's a lot of people who don't look like they're English, like a lot of them. But a lot of them are also British citizens for generations. And they're British. They're born and bred British people. So clearly there's a racism there that goes way beyond this Brexit because those people have not come from the European Union at all. And the European Union does not figure in that equation in any way. The other thing is Eastern European immigrants, which is really where the EU plays in quite a lot. Because once um, the EU expanded to Poland, to Bulgaria, to Romania, that became opening the floodgates to immigration. Oh no! Um, and of course, I remember, I remember when um, Bulgaria and Romania joined the EU, and the newspaper said, "Build up this." Um, this atmosphere that the the day that the borders are open, we're going to have floods of Bulgarians and mm. Romanians coming here. And they were actually camped out at the airport to see who was coming. There were like two people who came. So, of course, so of course that, that happened. <laughs> um, but what we are also seeing is a lot of Polish people getting hate mail. Um, um, there were um, images that I saw 
um, of these notes uh, being shoved in um, into people's mailboxes. So clearly by local people who knew that Polish people lived in that building. Mm. And they said things like, um, um, Polish vermin go back home. And once you start, I mean, for me, once you start using the word vermin, we know where we're going. We're going to, to fascist, to fascist yeah. Germany, you know? And um, the way, also the way Bulgarians and Romanians have been talked about in the British press for the past couple of years is like vermin. And that's where you see people who, some people may visually look like they're white and in US terms, Caucasian, mm -hmm. but they're not quite white to that, to, to a degree to be, to be perceived to be English. Not white enough. Not white enough, <laughs> even though, even though, and, that, and that's where the whole thing really begins to fall apart, yeah. that it's not really based on the, to some degree it's based on the visuals, but to some degree it's based on completely different things and completely different understandings and misunderstandings because you have that same hatred for, for Romanians and Bulgarians and for the Poles as you do for people from, from Africa and from the Caribbean. Right. But one, but ones can pass, racially pass, if they don't open their mouths and speak with their accented English. And the other ones, well, you know, they can't visually pass. Wow. And they might not even be from those countries. They're probably from England anyway. Yeah. So the whole thing is a mess. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So um, we should probably wrap up. Yes. Um, but any last thoughts or things that we didn't talk about that you really wanted to hammer home to people that are trying to like have a fresh yeah educated perspective on what's going on instead of watching cable news yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i guess read read a variety of uh, sources that's always good yeah what's a good source that people are trying to kind of keep up with this issue because obviously it's not going to go away anytime it's soon. not um i was a good media source i've been reading some things on vice i've been reading some things on the guardian some things on the independent um i honestly don't really trust the media in a way anymore um even the guardian which has always been you know middle class british values and mm -hmm. well fair reporting um but sometimes the guardian has failed quite substantially um but they still publish some good stuff so i always my go-to is always the guardian even though i understand that sometimes it has very problematic way of looking at things yeah um but right now uh half of my f well most of my friends are in england and my facebook feed is just full of a variety of things so i try to repost things that are interesting that explain things Try not to get into too severe arguments with people on Facebook, failing at, yeah, at it. But that's it. I think I think we'll really see what will happen in the coming months. Um, maybe this overt racism is going to increase. Maybe it will go down. You never know. But one way or another, those people aren't happy. And they're not happy because they're... Uh, I think it's because they're hurting, because there's no jobs, because the NHS is being destroyed, because everything is being taken away from them. All these, the whole social safety net that we've had 
for years and years, the thing that for me defines British society has been taken away by the Conservative government and by the austerity politics that they've instituted. And until we fix that, I don't really see how we're going to move forward mm. from this. Yeah. Because I also doubt that the EU are going to let us go easy. Right. Because mm. they will have to make an example out of the UK. And if it was yeah. me, I would make that example by making them pay. Yeah. So that money isn't coming back to England. But we're going to lose. And that's not going to create jobs. No. And since there won't be jobs, there won't be taxes. And therefore, there will be no funding for the welfare state. So things are just going to get worse. And it's extremely worrying to me. And I think the... Maybe the last thing that I wanna that I wanted to say is that while there is a complexity in the people who voted to leave, there's also a complexity in the people who voted to remain. The media and the right wing tend to portray them as uh, middle class yuppies from London, mm. which is not necessarily the case. We know that Scotland voted to remain, um, and we also. If you actually start examining young people who live in London, a lot of them are not yuppies because it's extremely difficult to live in London. And people are not working these really fabulous jobs that earn them a lot of money. They are students. They're trying to get through their lives. They don't have a lot of money to spare, but they vote for their own reasons, you know, and it would be interesting to, to also see the complexity of that of that vote not just the leave vote yeah cool mm, well yeah. Th there's no way to end on a good note no so <laughs> we'll leave it there thank yeah. you so much for talking with yeah, us yeah of course and um i will uh pull some resources to put on our website excellent that you kind of approve or think would be good for people to read and then excellent people are i can send some yeah perfect. yeah Thank you again so much to Elena for taking the time to speak with me about the Brexit vote. It's really refreshing to get a perspective that is not rooted in the mainstream or independent news cycle. That is actually just a person speaking on their personal experiences and opinions on the Brexit vote. So thank you so much to Elena. I hope you learned a lot. Viewers, listeners, you can't see me. If you could see me, you would see ATVs with me. I just love this. It's so Wisconsin. I wish you all could see. Oh, I know. I'm gonna take a picture and put it on our social media. I'm super smart. Uh, to close today, I want to do a RWL. I am reading a lot of literature on Michael Jackson. So shout out to the professor who reached out and talked to us about our little discussion about Michael Jackson, specifically him and his relationship with children. Now I've been very hesitant to ever believe these uh, accusations, but it just seemed like I was in the super minority for believing that he wasn't at fault. Lo and behold, there is a scholar who studies Michael Jackson that would be like a dream job for me. Um, but they sent us some excellent, excellent articles about the smear campaign that mainstream media um, did to Michael Jackson. So I'm reading through those and Rachel and I are going to talk more about that on a subsequent episode. But shout out to the prof who 
reached out to us. Much, much appreciated. I love Michael Jackson with all my heart. Um, watching, I'm watching the, um, whatever season of Orange is the New Black just came out. I'm watching the previous season to catch up for this new season. Although it seems like it's not worth watching because of black trauma, which we can also talk about when Rachel is back. And listening, let me see, what am I listening to? Hmm. To your existing family, I had Oh yeah, that's Alkaline Trio. So I've been blasting them in my car as I'm driving to Milwaukee because I'm seeing Blink-182 uh, in a couple days. And the reason why Blink-182 and Alkaline Trio are even uh, one in the same right now is because Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio is now in Blink-182, which I'm still having a very hard time understanding and like comprehending. But their new album's pretty awesome, but it got me back on my alkaline trio love so i've been blasting that so anyways i hope uh rachel appreciates that because i know she's a big alkaline trio fan too so i miss rachel and she'll be back next week and we'll talk all things feminist media studies um but until then wtf power